Thanks for joining us for I Live This, Transforming Mental Health Through Personal Connection, a podcast exploring the ways that people draw on their life experiences to support others, innovate, and advocate for change. I'm Donna Mosh, President and CEO of the Massachusetts Association for Mental Health. I Live This is a co-production of both MAMH and Kiva Centers. There's power in our experiences. They color our lives and how we interact with others. It's our hope that through these conversations, we can elevate individual voices and provide insight on the value of shared moments. We think you'll find that each of our experiences can drive change and foster connection, ultimately transforming the way we look at mental health. Stay with us for today's conversation coming up next. And don't forget to stick around after the interview for details on where to get related resources and more information. I'm Allison Sabian, Master of Social Work Candidate and intern working with MAMH. You're listening to I Live This, Transforming Mental Health Through Personal Connection. Today's guest is both a practicing clinical social worker and author, using her experience to help others. She focuses on both underserved communities and providing therapeutic support for complex trauma. Yvonne Castaneda is a licensed social worker, part-time faculty member and director of community-based initiatives at Boston College School of Social Work, and author of Pork Belly Tacos with a Side of Anxiety. We'll talk more about eating disorders, culture, anxiety, self-disclosure, and recovery in today's conversation. Thanks for joining us, Yvonne. It is absolutely my pleasure, and thank you for having me on this podcast. I appreciate it. Yeah, you're welcome. We're really excited to have you. So your your book is awesome. Um, so great. It touches on a lot of topics. And what made you decide to write and publish your story? Um, I think what what made me decide to write it was just the the reality that there really aren't there weren't at the time. Certainly, when I started, there weren't really many books written by. Latina or Latino authors that have to do with mental health in such an open and honest way, and definitely not very many for like the young adult population. And so given that my life pretty much derailed in adolescence, I really thought it was important to talk about mental health, talk about my own challenges with mental health as a Latina, and hopefully, you know, I I don't, on some level, maybe normalize it and also just decrease the shame and the stigma that's associated with talking about anything that has to do with mental health. So important and um, much needed today. Everyone, if you haven't read the book, you should read it. It's incredible. (laughs) Thanks for the plug. (laughs) (laughs) I loved taking your basic skills in clinical social work class at Boston College. In this course, you talk a lot about your view of expertise. What is expertise? Kind of um, the personal connection to it. Could you elaborate on that? Absolutely. I mean, I think... And I, and I hope I'm answering your question. Um, there's no such thing as a perfect therapist and there's no such thing as a perfect session. And I think, especially myself as a student, I came into the School of Social Work, into the program, thinking that therapy had to be like a certain kind of way. Like it would be, I guess, kind of structured. And of course there's structure to it, but I really didn't realize to what degree my own Um, challenges in the past, my own beliefs, my own feelings, my own experience, all of that would kind of be also present in the session. 
and just learning how to use that for good, you know, obviously not sharing all of my stuff with, with a client, but I think it really, I think what I, what I took away and what I share with students is you're, you're never going to be like a, a perfect therapist. There, re- there really is no such thing. Each relationship with a client is unique and so special. And it's just, yeah, it's nice not to hang on to expectations that you got to ask the right questions. Um, and you got to make sure that the client feels great when they leave your office, because that's not always going to happen. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I think there's just so much people can relate to uh, with that. So uh, thank you. And kind of going off of that, I know personally for me, I, part of my influence uh, to join the program of social work was personal challenges that I've faced uh, with mental health. and. I'm wondering, you kind of talked a little bit about it, but like more, maybe if you could elaborate more on like how you navigate those boundaries with clients, I think people would be very curious. <laughs> with how do I, how do I recognize that I have my own stuff, that something maybe is coming up for me? Like, how do I just maintain that professional boundary and that objective resilience in clients is honestly, Allison, is a lot of it just has to do with awareness, awareness of myself and the exploration that I've done on myself. Like, I guess I'm not perfect. Nobody is, but I'd like to think that I know myself extremely well, right? I know what's in my blind spot. Sometimes I actually do know that I know maybe what might be a trigger or what could get me um, feeling a certain kind of way. So I think just being super aware of your own experience of how you're feeling in the session and then being able to utilize that to really have empathy for the individual because and I know we talked about this in class is something that I experience a great deal is when a client is sharing something that stirs emotion for me it's an indicator that on some level I connect to that feeling I may not connect to the experience that they're having like whatever the situation is, but I definitely connect with that emotion. And so I allow that to exist without disclosing what's happening for me, because that just wouldn't be appropriate, but I allow it to, I don't suppress myself in the session because again, like we talked about in class, we're, we're humans. This is about a human connection, right? This isn't about, oh, I'm the therapist and I know everything. And I'm just going to sit here and not have any kind of emotion and I'm just going to be completely flat and let you, you know, experience all of these things all by yourself. I just, I don't practice that way. Yeah, it's really good to hear that. Um, I think a lot of people out there would um, have a perception that, you know, therapists are quote unquote perfect or they they have it all together. And the truth is, <laughs> no. no one can be all together all the time. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. And I think if you just... It's like I would say, if you could just embrace yourself in the process and be very accepting of where you are at any given moment, right? Because how I feel on any given day, it it can, it will fluctuate. We're, again, we're human. We're impacted by all sorts of things. And so I think it's just okay to, to be human in these sessions with clients without necessarily disclosing everything that we're necessarily experiencing. Absolutely. I agree. And do you think there's more to be done around supporting mental health professionals in recovery or, um, you know, future mental health professionals? 
mental like mental health clinicians who maybe themselves have gone through a journey of whether addiction or depression or anxiety or an eating disorder is that what you're referring to yeah or like currently in recovery like struggling with their own stuff yeah I completely understand you and I think hmm, that's a really great question yeah you asked some really great questions um you know, when I think about that, I think probably a barrier, I would say, for mental health clinicians in terms of finding a space to just kind of process themselves is that in many cases, unless you are working in a setting that provides supervision, is that once you achieve, I guess, a certain licensure, you don't necessarily have access all the time to that kind of supervision clinical supervision, which is extremely important because I think that is the space where we do get to process what's coming up for us with respect to a client. And can we process this with somebody who understands and allows it to be so that we can better serve the client that we're working with? And so I'm not sure what can be done. I mean, I think in a perfect world, ideally, insurance would cover clinical supervision. You know, like if I'm a therapist in private practice, I pay out of pocket to work with somebody who can provide me supervision. Said, well, how wonderful would it be if insurance companies recognize that this needs to happen and allowed other clinicians to bill for this clinical supervision? This might exist. I don't, I don't think it does, but I do think we need more support. Yeah, I totally agree. I had um, not heard of that. So that's that's um, that's really interesting that clinical supervision is not necessarily covered. And uh, what advice do you have for someone um, in recovery, either from an eating disorder or um, some of the other mental health challenges you mentioned in your book? Do you have some uh, words of wisdom for us? Oh, boy. <laughs> I mean, it sounds so cliched, you know, but I think when I look back, say, at the trajectory of my life and the many different jobs that I had and paths that I took, um, I have to say that the moments in which I felt my life completely flowed, where things just kind of fell into place, they were precipitated by moments where I really trusted my intuition and trusted what felt true for me. It may not have been logical according to society and what we're supposed to do, but it was what felt true. Um, and that's when doors just kind of opened and things just kind of flowed in the way that they needed to. I think so much of my mental health challenges, whether anxiety, depression, an eating disorder, had everything to do with me not trusting my intuition, with me very deliberately and persistently going against it, whatever it was, you know, because I had, I was pressured. I had peer pressure. I thought I needed to do all these things with my life that I really didn't want to do. And so I think for anybody who is in recovery, who, who has themselves anxiety, depression, any kind of mental health challenge, I guess the advice that I would give is to really a, trust your, your journey, trust your own journey, trust the process, and also be brave and, and trust your intuition. Trust what your inner voice is telling you. It's never wrong. I love that so much, and I definitely agree. I think there's so much that our intuition can tell us that mental health challenges kind of 
cover over. Um, or, you know, we use them as a safety mechanism in some way to not think about things that are difficult. Um, can you tell us a bit more about your book for people who haven't read it? Let's see. I mean, the book, it's interesting. It's not just a book about the eating disorder, right? It's not just an eating disorder. It really is a book about a lot of it, I think, has to do with first generation pressure, um, that first generation responsibility to to make our parents proud and to honor the risks that they took for us and the sacrifices and that, you know, clashing with maybe what we really want to do, you know, what we really hope to do with our lives. And then, of course, the book also talks about just the impact of culture, like the Latino culture and how my own family, like not necessarily the things they said or did to me because they did, and especially my mom and my dad, but even growing up in a household in which emotions that were considered quote negative were always suppressed. Um, they were repressed, they were hidden, they were never allowed. And I grew up in that kind of household. And so I think the messaging that I received was it's not okay to cry. It's not okay to show any kind of weakness. And so you can imagine just how much difficulty that caused for me growing up, because again, I'm human as are you. <laughs> like, so um, I had a really hard time, but it, you know, it, our parents really just do have an impact so much on just how we process. And so the book really dives into a lot of just experiences that maybe to the outside observer, they would deem them as completely innocent and innocuous. Like, how could that have impacted her? But they did, you know, they absolutely did. So it's really a journey of me having this intuition and this calling for service and this calling for helping others and ignoring it because I was burdened or I felt burdened by some expectations set on me by my culture. And of course, you know, American societal expectations and how repressing that inner voice, that inner, that intuition, and then trying to repress these awful emotions triggered a lot of discomfort for me, which I cope with, as you know, with, I coped with an eating disorder. I coped with alcohol and cigarettes. I coped later with exercise and was completely flying under the radar. No, nobody really had any idea. And what's worse is alcohol was really normal right? Like having wine was, is still very normalized. Like, oh, you know, I need to have my wine, but nobody knew that I was having two bottles of wine every night. Um, and so it really is about just my struggle, my own struggle with anxiety and with depression. And then all the ways in which I tried to cope, you know, with those things and ultimately just did a lot of damage to my physical body and my mental state. Yeah. That rings true about mental illness. And people may not necessarily realize something is wrong or abnormal per se. And I think there's a lot to be said about, I guess, um, how, how sneaky mental illnesses can be and the perception that people have that, uh, you know, the stigma around it, things like that. Thank you so much for sharing. And that's that's very powerful. And like I said, if anyone listening out there, if you haven't read the book, you have to. It's so good. Oh, thank you. You put up a really good point, though, Allison, about the, you know, the sneakiness of it. I, I wonder if you experienced this, too, but I know that, you know, it's almost as if you 
if you didn't get blind drunk and pass out every day, then you didn't really have an alcohol problem, right? I remember telling a friend of mine at the time, I was like, I think I, I think I have an alcohol problem. Like I, and he was like, oh, please, no, you don't. He's like, you're, it's not like you're getting drunk every day. And again, it's, again, that's how it kind of hides because it's really, we don't pay attention to that. It wasn't alcohol that was the problem. It was my relationship with it. it. Exercise wasn't the problem. It was my relationship with exercise, right? It was just that I was coping with all of these things in my life. And I think coping has become a very normal thing. Like, oh, you know, I'm just trying to cope. And I think, well, that's not, that's just no way to live. I don't want to cope for the rest of my life. I want to live. I've been speaking with Yvonne Castaneda, licensed clinical social worker and author of Pork Belly Tacos with a Side of Anxiety. You can find more information and resources related to body image and eating disorders on our website, mamh.org. Thank you, Yvonne, for sharing your insight and experience and how you use your experience to help others. We're so grateful for the opportunity to have you today. Thank you. Thank you, Allison. You were a phenomenal host and a great interviewer. I hope you have a great day. Thank you, you too. Thanks for joining us for I Live This, Transforming Mental Health Through Personal Connection, a podcast from the Massachusetts Association for Mental Health and Kiva Centers. You can find more information about the podcast and past episodes at mamh.org. If you have questions or comments, or would like to share your experience, email us at info at mamh.org or find us on social media. Next time on I Live This, a conversation on homelessness, race, and the criminal legal system with community activist Vesper Moore, the Chief Operating Officer of the Kiva Centers, and restorative justice practitioner George Halfkenny, co-founder of Thrive Communities. We hope you'll join us.